All right. Well, Dr. Berg, Jim Berg has said that you can't know how to live until you know what you're going to write on your tombstone. So, what are you going to write on your tombstone? Um, it's an it's a interesting thought. Maybe not the one you wanted to come to grips with, but it's one that I would challenge you to think about. Challenge you to think about today. Uh, what would you like written on your tombstone? Uh, maybe something like this. I told you I was sick, right? Hopefully, hopefully no one would have to write that on their tombstone, though, uh, though some may comically put that in there. I saw a few of those. Uh, here's one, Mel Blanc, um, and uh, that's all, folks. Uh, man of a thousand voices, uh, beloved husband and father, uh, you may, may know many, many voices, cartoon voices, but for 50 year, 52 years he played Daffy Duck. Um, and became very successful. So maybe you would think, boy, what I want on my tombstone is something about my success. Something about my career, or my field. I left behind something that uh, I would like everyone to remember me by. So perhaps this is a little more serious. But what would you like on your tombstone that would encapsulate uh, what, what kind of characterizes you and what perhaps was your purpose in life? And so today we're getting into a very deep subject and one that I wish all of Christianity could hear, uh, but I'm glad we're here and that all of us are going to be challenged by this text because Romans 1.5 gives us not just very practical but foundational truth here that we often turn to as a church, but one that I trust will be able to kind of spur us along in our life and give us some purpose uh, to our lives, okay? Um, so, here's some where you may go with this in your own life, uh, your name there, uh, personal successes would be that one that perhaps we first go to, perhaps you're thinking about uh, successful career, uh, maybe pushing along your family tree, uh, you, you have children or children's children, and they're successful in their career. But would that be what you want to characterize you? Right? If you have kids that are successful, then they have a lot of money, and they might just waste it. Actually, your success may be what ruins them. You see that a lot. So I would encourage us not to go there. That's where the American dream goes where a lot of what I'm afraid to say, a lot of Christianity goes, quote-unquote Christianity, where they have this health and wealth, and you come to Christ, and he's going to give you all the stuff you ever wanted. So you can have that on your tombstone as a purpose. I think a lot of folks go to the second one a little deeper, and I think this is where a lot of youth are right now, as they see um, perhaps... Uh, Family or parents that have labored their whole lives and worked so hard and got a lot, and they're like, boy, but they're still not happy. I don't want to live for that. And so you have these philanthropic ideals, some things that go beyond us to others, and, and often it, it's these big ideas that they ignore the, the person in need next door to take care of the huge world problem, but at least it's beyond themselves. And so they go to this other idea of influencing people toward uh, something that perhaps is a 
need in society. Maybe someone who gives their whole life to attain uh, this, maybe an uh, end to a certain disease. And so they study their whole life, and by God's grace, they're able to, to do that. Uh, bring the end to a certain disease. And so you have this benefit to the environment. But, but I would just kind of push back on that. People will still die. Uh, there will still be another disease. Um, and so you may get to that point and say, boy, I lived my whole life for that, but then here's another disease that's named after this person who just died, and we've got to start all over in the beginning. And so we need to get deeper still. A lot of folks like to go to politics, right? There's a political success, perhaps. Um, by politic, I mean Aristotle's ideal of the, the affairs of the city, right? There's a group of folks, and, and maybe it's your state, maybe it's your city, maybe it's your local community, and you want to take care of something in that community that you feel is wrong and get others to act a certain way. Maybe your purpose is to eradicate all automatic weapons or atomic weapons um, or weapons of all kinds. And so you give your life to that and you actually see some great comfort by success. But again, I will just end that people will still die. People will still harm one another. I'm sorry. And actually, even if you have bring legislation that brings a lot of success, who's to say that the next generation will go entirely up? Undo everything you've done. And so I do see some great purposes here. I'm not saying these purposes are bad. But what I do see in the Bible is there is an underlying purpose for all of those purposes that give them greater purpose and greater meaning in all that we do. And so God gives a gift of a greater purpose to all of us here in Romans 1.5. Okay, so let's take a moment with this and, and discover what this is. And if you'll be patient with me, in the next 30 minutes, we will try to get to it, okay? And we won't be able to spend as much time with the actual ideal, um, but at least present it. And then as we continue through Romans, it will be clearer and clearer as we go along. All right, so you ready for that? Life purpose? Ready to fill out your life purpose today? We do have some folks in the back who will be selling some gravestones. No, they aren't. We're not going to do that. But, but uh, hopefully you'll get the idea of what you want there. Okay, so let's take a moment and let's just gather where we are in Romans, okay? We've just started and we're going to go verse by verse through the whole, phrase by phrase, word by word, through the whole book, the whole letter. It's a foundational book, okay? We're not going to recover all that. Just a foundational book for every Christian to be aware of and to know. Romans 1, 1 to 17 is our first section, our first section. We're going to call that the, the prescript to this letter because it's kind of before he gets to the content of the letter, but it presents the big idea of the whole letter, okay? And so that first section, I'm dividing into three, a gospel greeting, spiritual ministry, verses 1 to 7, and that's where we are as we go verse by verse here the last kind of five sermons or so. Gospel fellowship, spiritual family, and gospel philosophy, spiritual living. Okay, so let's just take a moment and read those. Okay, you have your Bible. I'll put them up on the screen. And we'll find, uh, first of all, this gospel greeting, which is where we are today. Um, 
spiritual ministry. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so you remember what we discovered is this whole, is all one sentence, right? It's all one sentence, and, and then really the kernel of it is Paul, to all those in Rome, grace and peace. Paul, to all those in Rome, grace and peace. But he gets stuck here, because he's got to elaborate on the gospel. So Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God is what he promised about, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What is the gospel about? Somebody tell me. It's about a person, right? And who's the person? Jesus. Okay, so today we're going from those two ideas of who Jesus is that we've given a lot of time to, Son of David, Son of God. That was the first, right, concerning His Son, verse 3, Son of David, but also He's Son of God. And we saw that on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of the dead said, this is not just Son of David, Son of God. Verse 4, He was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Gospel is about Jesus. So that was about who He is. But now we find out what He gives. So this is more about Jesus. Who He is, two big ideas. Now, verse 5 today, what He gives. The gift of Gospel ministry. Through whom, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for His saints among all nations. Including you in Rome. Who are loved by God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we took a little more time with that. The next section we're not going to take time with. Um, be, verses 8 through 15 is gospel fellowship, the, the spiritual family. He really gets into his relationship to them in Rome. Okay, And it's very important. We'll get to that here in a couple weeks. And then I do want to read this. This is the summary of this whole letter as he gets to his theme statement, as he finishes the prescript to this letter, he tells them this is really a philosophy of living that he presents, first of all, in verse 5, but he says, For I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, so there's several themes in there that we'll, we'll see come up over and over as we go through the book of Romans. And we just encourage you to buy a Bible or to have a Bible that you set aside for the study of Romans and we can highlight the themes together. But one of them is going to be, well, I'll let it's the gospel, it's Christ, but we'll find this Jew first and Greek. We'll find Jew and Greek that he keeps talking about. Even today he'll get into that. But this gospel is, verse 17, in it the righteousness of God is revealed and it's the righteousness that Christ has done. Through faith, it's granted to us. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, did I lose you? I took a little time with that, but I just want to put us in the, in the forest, getting down to the tree. Okay, so we're with the tree, and, and now what we're going to do is examine one of the branches. Now look at one of these branches together, verse 5. Verse 5. Okay. And, uh, and that's where we'll just, just see some gospel fruit for our soul that gives us a great purpose for living. Okay, so here's, see in your notes there, kind of move to the next page, 
And, and we have this um, purpose of the gift of the gospel. They're on page eight in your worship guide. If you like taking notes, there's some blanks to fill in there. And, and honestly, there's just, there's a lot in here. Okay, so we could take all day on each of these phrases, but we're going to get through all of verse five. Okay, so we, we have the gift, first of all, the reason the gift is given, and then the motivation for using this gift. And that motivation is going to really give us the purpose for, for living, the purpose for our lives. And how we can tie all these other purposes or ideals under that one main purpose. Okay? So let's jump into this gift, the gift. What is, what is the gift? Um, through whom we have received, right? So that's what I'm saying, it's the gift. We've received it. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Three questions for you. Who gives the gift? Who receives the gift? And then then what is the gift itself? Well, the first one's easy. Who gives the gift? Christ. All right. It helps that the answers are there. Uh, But but there is this person who's giving the gift. Now, if you're just reading it, you know, and, and not reading the context, you might not think of this being Christ. But for those of you who have your Bibles, look at verse 4. Right, this gospel was declared to be, Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, are the last four words of verse 4. And then it says, through whom? Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom? And so, who gives the gift? Jesus Christ, our Lord. We saw this is very significant last week. That this is not just Jesus the man. He is the Messiah. He is Christ and he's the Lord. He is, a, he is God. He is the one who set aside as special, and, and he's Yahweh. And so he can tell us what to do, and he can give great gifts. Right? I think you have a gift to give. No one outgives God. And so God gives to us this special gift. Who is the giver? Jesus Christ. Now, who receives the gift? This is a little more complicated. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So you just just read over that. Who is the we? Okay, hey, I just heard those two, the two main ideas. It, it could, there's the third one. There's, there's three ideas. One is that it's, it's we, actually, I don't know if you mentioned this, but we meaning we have received grace and apostleship. apostleship. Some folks would say this is Paul referring to himself in the plural. Um, so something like, uh, we, we need to be careful when we make a promise or how about this? Uh, when we leave tonight, we'll be buying dinner for our family. Okay. So, so I I may be saying that about all of us, but it's just me that I'm talking about. And so that is an, an idea that perhaps is, and it's, it's plausible, uh, and some, so, so some folks will say this because they'll say Paul is the one that receives grace and apostleship. So when he says we, he's not really talking about anyone else but himself. And so it's got to be Paul using the plural to respectfully refer to me. But those of you who've read Paul know that he's not against referring to himself, right? He often says I. Okay, so I don't necessarily like that view. 
Now, this is another one, and somebody mentioned this, that the, the 12 apostles, we have received grace and apostleship. And that's another kind of ideal, right? That I think it's, it's, it's definitely possible. We are the ones who receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations. Um, now, I will say this, though, as you continue to read on in Romans, you don't find him referring to the 12 apostles at all. And so I don't necessarily find that convincing. But he could be talking about the 12 apostles. Right? A few of you are in the Sunday school this morning, and, and we did deal with this at length. Okay? So Asher, no, um, or Paul. Uh, so we, we talked about whether they're apostles today. And is this giving any reference to apostles today? We found that there are two different ideas for apostle. As you read the New Testament, there's about 75 references, and most of them refer to what is called the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles. But there are a few references that talk about this idea of being sent ones. Just sent to accomplish a specific task. The sent ones. Um, the, the extension of that idea of apostles would be that those who are sent out by a church to do a specific task. And so you do see that maybe ten times, maybe less, referred to several different folks that are not necessarily the twelve apostles, but they're sent ones. And that's just a normal term for someone who's sent to do a specific task. And I would, would actually kind of lump those final two ideas together to be that this would be referring to all churches of all time, but it's being built on that original apostolic group, but the same message is true for all of us. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But you could put this third idea, that all churches are the we. Paul and Rome, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of all nations, for the sake of Christ. Well, what is it that we've received? If we say that this is grace and apostleship given to you and to me, we have received then grace and we have received apostleship. We have, through Jesus Christ today, grace. Um, I need grace. You need grace. What is grace? Uh, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Now, primary way we think of grace is saving grace. Right? Nobody works for their salvation. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. By grace you're saved through faith. Right? So I didn't work for it and God gives it to me. But really everything we have is from grace. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Right? G-R-A-C-E. But really it's God's everything at Christ's expense. Christ earned everything for us that we have. Grace is God's giving me breath every moment of every day. Grace is God's allowing me to preach. Grace is God's allowing us to listen to God's word. And grace is definitely us leaving here obeying what God says. Grace is you living a godly life Monday at work. Grace is going to bed, getting up. Grace is everything. We all need grace. We need God's favor. All of this is God's grace. So we have grace through Jesus Christ. We've also received apostleship. All right, and we again spent more time with this in the morning. So if you have time, look at that. 
uh, where we deal with all the technical information here, but we're finding that, that the, the office of apostle is no longer in use today. You see that clearly, that these foundational apostles were the twelve, repeatedly referred to as the twelve, and there was one that replaced the twelve. Paul also was one of them. Beyond that, there's no more revelation, and the apostolic office is no longer given out. Right? And so Paul was talking to the churches, how to organize. He said, you have pastors and you have deacons. Right? But there were apostles given, and these sent ones, uh, that kind of uh, mirrors that idea of apostle. Okay? So we have grace given through Jesus, but we also have this ministry of the apostles. Where do we have the ministry of the apostles? In our scriptures. These scriptures written right in front of you are, are penned out by the apostles through the Holy Spirit. And so you and I, in one sense, have that same ministry that they had. Not of giving new revelation, but as Christ sent the twelve, so he sends you and I. He has sent us out by his grace. Um, it, is, it is very similar to the idea of ambassadors. In fact, I think I have that verse for us here. Um, I, I think this is a, like the, the clearest mirror or kind of explanation of the idea here. As Paul is dealing with his ministry as an ambassador, uh, he says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ And he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as through God, making his appeal through us, we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul's saying, I'm an ambassador... And so I am in, in the place of Christ appealing you to be reconciled to God through Christ. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. Same idea. Just as Christ sent out the 12 apostles, they were sent ones, and there are 12 apostles, all of us are sent ones. We have that same commission. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. All right, so this is the idea here. This is the ministry that we're given, the ministry of grace to do it. And then the big idea is that we're sent ones carrying out God's ministry of making disciples of all the nations, which is a big task. It is a big task. You need grace for that. I need grace for that. About 16 years ago, as we were living in Brooklyn and raising funds to help start this church in Queens, the middle of the nations, uh, there was just a a passionate desire to do that. But I was living, actually that week we were living in a rundown church in Brooklyn that just had just a few people in it, and it was like, like ready to close. And the pastor there was faithful, and the people were faithful. And I'm just like, Lord, how in the world is this going to be done? 
I can't do that. I'm not sufficient for that. And in just an, an overwhelming sense, not overwhelming, that's too much, but a, a real, real sense to this day of insufficiency and inadequacy to anything spiritual. And then the Lord gave me this passage from Psalm 63, where it says, God be gracious to us, let his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. And we're praying about, Lord, what should we name this church? God be gracious to us. There's no way this is going to be done without God's grace. It's a spiritual work. You can't just wing it. It's got to be God's spirit working through his word to the glory of his son. And so, you have Grace Baptist Church. So let me encourage you to, to as well think of this as a real commission for your life. You are a sent one through Jesus. Jesus sends you. You say, I'm not worthy of that. Good, you're not. If you feel adequate in yourself, you're inadequate. God just wants folks who feel inadequate in themselves and are, are resting on his grace. But believe this also. His grace is for you. His, this grace is given to you. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us right now. He'll be with you tomorrow as you try by his grace to make much of his name at work or wherever you are. You are a sent one who's received grace to make much of Jesus. So I'm reminded again of that children's song that was instilled in my heart by Patch the Pirate. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. I will serve you faithfully. Here am I, send me, right? Lord, I give my life to you. Take control each day. I will follow anywhere, near or far away. Lord, I want your perfect will. Be my faithful guide. I will never be afraid. You are close beside. Let me see my mission field all around each day. Fill my heart with Jesus' love. Use me, Lord, I pray. I trust you'll and to take that to heart tomorrow and each day. Here am I, Lord, send me. Take this mission as your own, as your own. So there's this apostolic sent one grace for us to receive through Jesus that gives us the same commission that he gave to his 12, but he does not leave it there. He says, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So here we are, we still have this mission. What is the reason for it? All right, let's look at the reason. Why, why then are we given this gift of grace and apostleship? What does he say? We're given grace and apostleship for what reason? To bring about what? I'm hearing it whispered. To bring about the obedience of what? The obedience of faith. Good. So God has given us grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Well, what is that? What is the obedience of faith? All right, so what should this bring about? Me using grace and apostleship, being a sent one. Well, it's, it's in order to bring about the obedience of faith, and the scope is among the nations. You're in an awesome place to be. The best place, honestly, in the world. That's why I'm in Queens. I'm in Queens to see the nations, right? 
Uh, that's why we moved here 20 years ago, um, to be among the nations. And this is the place in the world, the, the, I mean, this is the place you go to for that. Anyway, okay, but let's, let's get to this first of all. What is the obedience of faith? What's that? Repentance, Repentance? okay, good. This is another one that you have a couple big ideas. So let's take a moment with this, and, and I encourage you to take notes on it. Um, maybe you just read through that. What is the obedience of faith? Well, well, the original says exactly that. Obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. There's two words, obedience, faith. And you're, you're supposed to try to understand how those two work together. Obedience of faith. I'm going to bring about obedience of faith to my coworker Bob, tomorrow. Well, what would that look like? First of all, one idea is that it is a faith that obeys. And that's that idea of repentance, of surrender. A faith that obeys the word of Christ. Obedience of faith is encouraging people to believe the gospel in such a way that they repent of their sin, they obey the Lord, and, and the stress is on the obedience side of faith. I'm going to continue to obey the faith that I've committed myself to. Okay, so that would be one way to take that. All right, there's another way to take that. What would be maybe another way to take that? Okay, that would be a similar idea there. Okay. Uh, the other would be the obedience of faith itself. Saying, you have to believe. Obey the command to believe. The obedience which is faith. So the idea would be either the obedience that produces, the faith that produces obedience, or the obedience, namely, faith. Um, and I think we see that in the Gospels. Jesus comes into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, and he says, kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe the gospel. You, like, there's, there's not a, you don't have a choice here, all right? Jesus commands all of you to believe. Jesus commands all of you to repent. All around the world, he gives us the authority to command people to believe in him. And so there is this command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul and Silas there with the Philippian jailer, he says, how do we be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. He commands him to believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay, and, and so, those are two big ideas. Now, I just, can I take a moment with this? Uh, we, we are also looking at translations. Okay, so, we'll just pause for just a second. For, for those of you who's not interested in translations at all, you can take a little nap. And we'll be right back to Romans 1.5. But, but how would the translations handle this? Okay, so we're seeing in translations, there's some more translate. There are translations that are more literal. And then there are translations that, that uh, show you the interpretation itself without, like they, they don't reflect the Greek as accurately as making the interpretation for you. Okay, so let me just show you, kind of show you how that happens Romans 1.5 in the King James Version, uh, which would be more literal. Uh, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So there they're doing a little bit more interpretation. Instead of the obedience of faith, their obedience 
to the faith. So they're going more to that, that repentance idea of those of you who believe are to be obeying. New American Standard just says literally the obedience of faith. As we saw here, the ESV, the obedience of faith. They don't make that decision for you at all. They just say, this is the Greek. You got to make the decision for yourself. And um, I kind of like that. But, but as you read along, sometimes it's hard for your brain to make all those decisions. So you have to read much more carefully and slowly. The Net Bible says the obedience of faith. The NIV would be less literal and try to make a few more interpretations for you so it's more readable. And so listen to what it says. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. You see that? So they made the decision for you. They're deciding with that idea of if you're believing, you're going to obey. The obedience that comes through faith in the gospel. The same with the New Living Translation. I kind of, I think I like their interpretation of this the best. Because um, they, they combine the two ideas. And I think that's what actually we have here. I think Paul is leaving this ambiguous because they're so interrelated that they're both and true. Let me read the New Living Translation for you and you can kind of follow along there in the ESV. Um, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Okay, so you see how they put, they're they're interpreting it for us. They're interpreting it for us. Now, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just showing you that's what these translations do. As we look at some of the ones that would be more readable, uh, easier to read, and the other ones that just kind of leave all those decisions for your brain to work out, and it's harder to read, but maybe reflects the original a little more carefully. Okay. So, I, I honestly believe what he's talking about here is that there, there is an overlap, right? That there is, there is the, everyone who believes is going to obey. But he's telling him, yes, you have to believe. You have to be believing and you have to be obeying. And so the ambiguity is, is a beautiful combination of both. I could summarize it this way. Believe the faith that causes you to obey the faith. Believe the faith that causes you, as you believe, to obey the faith. And, and all of those commands to be, to be believing could be translated that way. Right, so Jesus gives the command to believe. He gives the command to repent, but they're present tense. It's not that you believe once, you have your ticket to heaven, and then you live any way you please. You repent once, and you can live any way you please. He says, be believing. Be repenting. This initial salvation is one that continues to grow in sanctification all the way to glorification. And he's going to deal with that all throughout Romans. And yet the commitment to Christ is the commitment to follow Christ. Right? And so there is no faith without repentance. And so the obedience, the faith is the faith that obeys. Uh, You have no Christianity without Christ. And so, of course, as we're called to follow Christ, to believe in him, we're called to, to follow him. And so again, this gets us back to the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There's this commitment, I believe in him, but does it stop there? 
No, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then what? Teaching them everything I've commanded you, right? So this salvation is one of life change, where I'm no longer following my own way, I'm following Christ, I've become a new creature, but it's not something I do in order to earn it. It's something that Christ does in me through his spirit. You got that? All right. We're taking a little time with that, but I think it's helpful to, to think through what, exactly what he's talking about here. Because this is our purpose. That, that as I talk to my neighbor tomorrow, I, I'm wanting to see them commit themselves to Christ in such a way that their life changes. And uh, we sent out the weekly email. We had Lou's uh, baptism, which is awesome, right? And we'll share the others uh, in the weeks to come. But, but that's just the initial step. And, and now we're wanting to see that's the opening, right? I'm believing in Jesus and I'm telling everyone about it. But then you don't go and live any way you please, right? There's this continuing following Christ in the faith, the household of faith, as we continue to partake of the Lord's Supper together, okay? All right, and then the scope of this, and we'll just keep moving on here because uh, we need to close it out here with the, the ultimate purpose. Um, so the scope is among all nations, all nations. And uh, if you're taking notes there, what's really fascinating is look at, at Matthew 10, uh, Jesus' first commission, and then what's at the, the root of this is Matthew 28, his second commission. The, the difference in there is striking. Matthew 10, he says, go. He says, make disciples. Uh, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. But you know the big difference? Matthew 10, he says, do not go to the nations. Go to, to your synagogues. And so it was all Jewish, all Jewish, all Jewish, all Jewish. Matthew 28, there's this huge change. This good news is for everybody, for all the Gentiles. Now, it's, you know, he, he hints at it all along, but this great commission is where it's brought together. And then the Lord says, I'm going to send my spirit and enable you to talk in languages you've never learned so that the spirit can actually be shared with those who don't speak Hebrew, Right? And so you have these people from all over the world, and he's wanting this word to get to the nations, get it to the nations, get it to the nations. And so here we are, all the way around the world, 2,000 years later, mixed up of people from all over the world. It's come to the nations. Why? All right. This, the purpose of all this, the motivation for all of us, and this gives us the purpose for our life. Why is this? And this is where we've got to be really careful here. Because, because it's great for people. It gives you a sense of belonging in the church. It gives you freedom from your guilt, freedom from sin and hell and death. It gives you so much coming to Christ. But that's not the end goal. This is going to blow your brain, right, if you've never considered this. But, but the purpose of evangelism, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the Great Commission is not just for humans to know God. It's for God to be glorified. It's for the purpose of Jesus. All of this, the church, people coming to Christ, it's not about us. 
It's not programs that will have a social club and feel accepted by other people. Now, we get that. But that's not what it's about. It's not so that I can um, live a different life and have my best life now. But I believe that you do. It's all about Christ. It's as God changes you and you and you and me to look more like Jesus. The angels look down and say, glory to God. As your coworker looks at you and say, What's so? how can you be patient with all that's going on? You say, glory to God. Jesus did it. I didn't do it. And it gives glory to Jesus. All of this is about glory to God. And that is our purpose. That's why God made us. Anything short of that is man-centered. And, and if, if I'll just be completely honest, idolatry. How could we live for anything else other than God? God has made us for himself. And so all of this is, what does the text say? For the sake of your name? For the sake of the name of Grace Baptist Church? For the sake of a denomination? For the sake of better pay? No, none of that filthiness. For the sake of Jesus. And he alone is worthy and he will be worthy forever and ever and ever. So in Revelation, we'll be all before him saying, glory to the lamb that was slain. Not glory to any human. And we will be fulfilling the purpose, finally, for which we are created. Living glory to the Son. He says it again in Romans 11, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Ephesians, to him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus. Revelation 1, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is the chief of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And actually, as we understand humanity correctly and our fall and our brokenness and how to get back to God, we cannot find our true joy in any other way than delighting in him and worshiping him. And so as we spend time at his his knees, we have rest in our soul And and it's like I'm glorifying him, but it actually is giving me space. It's fixing my eyes on Jesus and all my problems go away. It's what I was made to do. If I try to make life work any other way, I just, it's like trying to scrape your windshield with a rake, right? Whatever it is, like it's just, that's not made for that purpose. I'm made to worship Jesus. If I try to put anything else there, it's not going to work. It's the same for you. David Doran, in his book, For the Sake of His Name, does a great job with this, encouraging us in our evangelistic efforts to keep our focus on the glory of God. He gives this illustration. In 1715, Louis XIV of France died. The king had called himself the Great and had proudly boasted, I am the state. During his time, his court was the most magnificent in Europe. His funeral, too, was designed to be a display of his greatness. It was spectacular. His body laid in a golden coffin. To amplify the deceased king's grandeur by drawing attention solely to him, that orders had been given in to light the cathedral very dimly and to set one special candle above his coffin. Massive crowd gathered for the funeral, waiting in silence. Massillon, who later became the Bishop of Claremont, 
during the middle of it, slowly reached down, snuffed out the candle, and said, only God is great. Louis XIV came and went. Who even knows about him or his funeral? I mean, I guess we sing a song or whatever, but we don't know about him. But that spirit lives in everybody by birth. I am great. I am great. I am great. I want to be great. I want to be looked up to. I want to receive the glory. And that's Satan. It's, it's the spirit of Satan that we're all born unto, wanting to be served, wanting to be the, the center. And yet God wants us to be redeemed to where we take our compass and direct north. God is great. And so the purpose of evangelism, the purpose of us are telling about Jesus is for the purpose of worship. Right? As Piper said, evangelism exists because worship does not. Doran goes on and says, unless we revive our commitment to the principle that God alone is great, we will not rise to the challenges of missions in the 21st century. Unless our souls burn within us with holy jealousy at the sight of false worship, with all-consuming passion to see Christ exalted, we will not pay the price that biblical missions demands. And that's very true. So, in closing, let's just finish here. Um, How can this be our purpose? Let me just encourage you to apply this to yourself. Um, In a quiet moment, I want you to just think very practically, Lord, how can I glorify you? How can I bring attention to you in my gospel outreach through the seven potted plants you've given me, or maybe it's 70 people you're reaching out to, the different relationships you have. Um, so, so pray for the Lord to connect your life, your calling, your gifts, your talents, treasures, all to this same purpose. It's not for, it's not for a church. Now the church is for that, the spiritual church, the real church is for bringing glory to Christ. But all of us are about this. We're all made to to bring glory to Jesus, to shine light on him. And I would just encourage us as a church, right? Those of you who go to our church regularly and you're a part of our church, can we pray this way? Let's just apply this to prayer. Would you pray that this room would be filled with worshipers, with true worshipers? That would be a way to see this principle carried out through our church. Not with attendees, not with just folks who are attending, right, for a social club or for um, felt needs or so that we're right, encouraged how to bud- balance our budget or know how to build right relationships, right, all these practical things we get from Scripture. But, but it would be filled with folks that love Jesus and are committed to coming here and singing to the glory of his name, and hearing from his word and living out his commands, would you commit to praying for that? Lord, fill this church with worshipers. And I would say this, God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So, so you're, praying his, you're praying his purpose. But I feel like we need to do that. We need to pray out this mission for our church, that our church each Sunday this room would be filled with worshipers. And then, you know, pray it for other churches too. Um, and, and this is the thing. We're seeing churches close in Europe 
because people have gotten off of this. We're, we're living for different purposes other than the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So we need as a church to recommit ourselves to this as our mission mandate. The glory of God and the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Chris Anderson wrote these words. We'll end with these and then have a time of quiet. Go to the world for the sake of his name. To every nation his glory proclaim. Pray that the spirit wise will open darkened eyes. Granting new life to display Jesus' fame. Love the unloved for the sake of his name. Like Christ, befriend those whose heads hang in shame. Jesus did not condemn, but was condemned for them. Trust gospel power, for we once were the same. It's all of grace. Rescue the lost for the sake of his name. As Christ commands, snatch them out of the flame. Tell that when Jesus died, God's wrath was satisfied. Urge them to flee to the Lamb who was slain. Look to the throne for the sake of his name. Think of the throng that will share in his reign. Some for whose souls we pray will share our joy that day, joining our song for the sake of his name. In Jesus' power, preach Christ to the lost. For Jesus' glory, call Count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Let's, let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I wanted to take one more minute, um, and, and I, I'm out of time, but, but to tie in the beginning purposes that you see on that tombstone that we thought are all actually reached through gospel proclaiming. Hearts are changed to, to, not, to throw down weapons and use them for agricultural purposes. Lasting physical life is given in the gospel so that disease will be forever eradicated in heaven. True prosperity is only reached eternal prosperity in Christ. And so we find here the greatest purpose for life in this gospel for Jesus' sake. Let's all respond to God's message today and ask the Spirit to work in our heart in ways to apply it out. How can this be your purpose today? Okay, if you'd like to pray with me, I'll be standing in the back lobby, happy to pray with you. In a moment, we'll have a Closing public prayer and song together.